Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn over to the book of Genesis. And uh, we're going to start in Genesis and we're going to get all the way to James before we're done tonight. Let's stand together. We're going to read one verse from Genesis chapter 37 and verse 5. Genesis chapter 37 and verse 5 says, And now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. Father, we so appreciate you. We so appreciate your goodness and your kindness to us. Lord, tonight especially, we appreciate how you are gentle with us, how you treat us uh, so gently. Lord, there are, there are times and moments and seasons in, with, in which the world comes against us so harshly. Those who are closest to us may, may turn on us in, in ways that we did not expect. But you are a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You've never tricked us. You've never betrayed us. You've never abandoned us. And I pray tonight that your Holy Spirit would come into this place and that you would heal us, that you would bring healing. Father, I believe that that's the move that you want to do tonight is to heal our souls, heal our spirits, and heal our bodies. And we submit ourselves to you in obedience to, to be in right alignment, in the right position, to hear and to see and to receive what you would have for us. So I thank you for this evening. We, we consecrate this evening to you and we surrender ourselves and invite you, Lord, have your way. Have your way in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Before I uh, began... This work in full-time ministry, um, I had a, a corporate job. I worked about 17 years in sales and sales management. And at kind of the height of that career, I was a district manager for a, a multi-site retail company in Tampa, Florida. I had several retail locations. And the product that we sold required a, a delivery mechanism to our consumer's home, our customer's home. And so we had a warehouse and we had all of these stores. And my strength was more so in the sales side, but I, I oversaw the whole operation for the city. And be real honest with you, I had really put blood, sweat, and tears into this organization. I was a, I was a, a, a limited liability partner in this particular market with this company. Uh, so I had a, a share of ownership in it. But more even than, than just the financial ownership, I had put so much time and so much effort and, and, and so much of my own heart into this company and what we were doing. I believed in the company. I knew the owners. I believed in the owners. I believed in our, our product. Man, I, you know, I, I was just, I was a company guy, you know, if you will. Well, in, in, in retail, uh, there, are, there are ways in which you can lose money. You can give your product away too inexpensively. You can have poor services and poor advertising and run all of your customers off. Or you can have what's called shrinkage. Anybody ever heard of shrinkage? Shrinkage is a fancy corporate word for theft. Uh, it means that the product is leaving the door and no one exchanged some dollars for the product. And you, you discover shrinkage in your bookkeeping analysis. That's where you find out, oh, 
We have we are missing some product and we don't have the dollars to account for it. Well, over the course of, of time, we were we were doing very well uh, there in the Tampa market. We're growing, we're opening new stores, and and we're doing great. And we were contacted by our corporate office that, lo and behold, we have some shrinkage. Huh, fantastic. Not the best news that I had ever heard. So we began an investigation. We had a corporate investigator. He flew out from our corporate office. He spent time in the stores and in the warehouse and talking to people and examining the books. And we discovered that the shrinkage was coming from our warehouse. And in our warehouse, we had a warehouse manager who I had hired and had really gone to bat for this guy in bringing him into into our company. And uh, we had a great partnership. We had a great relationship. We worked well together, the sales side and the operations side for the delivery uh, of our product. And, and that functionally was going very well. But now somewhere in his house, if you will, we have a thief and we've got we've to find him. And so the investigator started going through and interviewing the warehouse manager, the assistant manager, our, our various uh, workers who would stock our product, the delivery drivers, all this stuff. And in the first round of investigation, the investigator said to me, he said, I don't know exactly who uh, the, the thief is, but it's not the warehouse manager. I can, I can tell you that much. <laughs> so relieved. So I cannot begin to describe to you how relieved I was. I remember standing in the parking lot of the warehouse, uh, and I looked at this man in his eyes, and literally, no exaggeration, tears coming down my eyes. I said these words. I said, thank you for not stealing from me. That's how personal this, this was to me. Well, the investigation went on. We continued to process through the various accounting mechanisms that we had until finally the investigator returned to our market and in his second round of investigations in the warehouse and again interviewing the delivery drivers interviewing the assistant manager interviewing the manager the investigator called me on the phone and he said i've just interviewed the manager the warehouse manager and he has just confessed to being the ringleader of a few people involved uh, in this in this uh, in this theft, and uh, I've terminated his employment. I'm filing all of the paperwork. You may want to come over to the warehouse. We read here in in the book of Genesis. It says Joseph had a dream. Joseph, you guys know this story. Joseph's father, uh, Jacob, God changed his name to, to Israel. Israel, Jacob, was the father of a very dysfunctional family. Jacob had two wives and two girlfriends at the same time. Now, I, you know, I don't know if you've done any marriage retreats or seminars, but that's not a recipe for a happy home, just by the way. And he had... 12 children, and of all of these children, he had a favorite. Now, that's not uncommon. If you have more, if you have a child, I have a child, and he's my favorite. But I'm smart about it. I only have one child, and so it's okay. But I am one of three children. My mother and father have three children. I'm the middle child, so I know I'm not the favorite. 
And we're very clear on that in my household. And the, the challenge is not that parents have a favorite child, it's that they have a favorite and they tell all the rest of the kids, you know, I could just see them sitting around the table and Jacob saying, Judah, did you hear about Joseph? Simeon, did you, did you see what grade that Joseph got on his report card? Reuben, if you could just be a little more like Joseph, this house would be a, a happy home. My wife is the oldest of three children, and uh, she has two younger brothers. Her youngest brother, Javier, is the one you saw in the video uh, this morning. He's our co-founder at the ministry. And so one day we were at my, my mother-in-law and father-in-law's house, and we asked my mother-in-law, who is your favorite child? Eh, that's, that's never a good idea, but we were just rolling the dice, you know. Let's, let's, let's just see what happens. And she said the wonderful motherly answer, oh, I love all my children. They all have a special place in my heart. I love them all so dearly. I said, you admit that, Rosa, you're lying to us. And then we asked my father-in-law, who's your favorite child? And without missing a beat, he said, Javier. Javier, in front of my wife. He said, Javier is my favorite. So we've clearly figured out that Javier is the favorite of my in-laws. And we've also figured out that for my parents... I have an older brother, Terry, a younger sister, Emily. We have figured out that Javier is also my parents' favorite child. So, and if you met him, he'd be, he'd be your favorite too. So the deal with, with Jacob was not that he had a favorite child, but that he told all the rest of his kids, Joseph is the favorite. You see, he's not the oldest. He, is, he happens to be the oldest of my favorite wife, because again, two wives, two girlfriends. Jacob had a favorite wife. Joseph was the oldest of uh, that wife. And therefore, he's my favorite. He's the child of my old age. Dressed him up in a fancy robe even. A robe that when Joseph walked through town, everyone would say, well, that's, that's Jacob's boy. You know, and here comes Reuben and Simeon and Judah and all these other guys. They would just dismiss them, but there's Joseph. It's Jacob's boy. Well, Joseph had a dream, and so he told his brothers about the dream. You guys know this story. He had a dream that all, uh, basically signifying two dreams, that all of his brothers, and in the second dream, even his mother and his father would one day bow down to him. And so like the rest of us, when God implants something in our heart, we go and we share that with one another, don't we? God put something in your heart. You're all excited about it. God's called me to plant a church. God's called me to start a business. God's called me to marry this handsome man or this beautiful woman. God's called me to be a missionary. And we go and tell everyone about it because we know they're our brothers and our sisters. And they're going to be just as excited as we are about it, aren't they? But it says here that when Joseph told his dream to his brothers, they hated him. They hated him more. They already hated him because he was daddy's favorite. But now that, that there's some special anointing on his life, they hated him more. You, you, you fast forward, the brothers went out to, to tend their flocks and, and Jacob sends Joseph out to go and check on them. And, and they're not where they're supposed to be. And Joseph was a little bit of a tattletale. The Bible does tell us that. And you get down to verse 18, and it says, Now when they saw him afar off, they had moved from where they were supposed to be to another place. Joseph's done tracked them down, and as he's coming up, they see him in the distance. And here's what his brothers said. When they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired to kill him. Joseph was betrayed by his brother. Betrayed by his brother. 
I wonder if there's anybody here tonight that when God spoke something into your heart and into your life and you began to share this thing, you began to to uh, rejoice in what the Lord was doing in your life, that the people around you, those who should have, have, have really celebrated with you, those who were closest with you, instead of joining the party, instead of joining the church, instead of joining the ministry and jumping on the bad wagon and, yeah, we're excited for you, instead they said, you know what? Don't you bring that talk around my house. You come around here with that talk again or in my house, and I'm gonna I'm gonna hurt you. Betrayed by his own brothers, his own flesh and blood. They had different mothers, but they had the same father. They were the ones. If anybody should have been should have been uh, 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 putting wind in Joseph's sails, if anybody should have been championing him and what God was going to do in his life, it should have been Judah. It should have been Reuben. Instead, they said, "We're going to kill this kid. We're going to we're going to shut him up, and we will kill him." Well, you guys know the story. Reuben said, look, let's, let's not kill our own flesh and blood. So they threw him in a pit. They took his robe off of him. Said, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with this fancy robe. They took his robe off of him. They threw him in a pit. And then they saw some Ishmaelites coming by, some traders. And they said, we'll make a buck off of our, of our younger brother here. And they sold him as a slave. Took the robe, tore it up, put some blood on it, took it back to daddy. Daddy thought Joseph has been devoured by some animal. And they just let him believe the lie. So you, you fast forward a little bit in Joseph's life and he ends up in Egypt as a slave. So what would they do as a slave in Egypt? They stripped him naked. They put him up on a, on a block and a bunch of men from the community stood around bidding on him. My father would tell you, you know, it's going to be a bad day when there's a bunch of men standing around bidding on you and you're standing naked in Egypt. That's a bad day. But the Bible says that a man named Potiphar bought him and Potiphar was a ruler, a, a senior person, a captain of the guard there in Egypt working for Pharaoh. When you fast forward to chapter 39 of Genesis in verse 2, Potiphar has bought Joseph and Joseph does well in Potiphar's house because the favor of the Lord was on him. It said the Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and he served him. Then he, that's Potiphar, made him Joseph, overseer of his house. And all that he had, he put under his authority. He tells him, short of what I'm going to eat or drink, Joseph, you can run the whole household. Here he is a slave and all of a sudden... He's running the whole house because the favor of God was on him. And sometimes, you, you guys have experienced this, sometimes in those times of betrayal, there's still the favor of God on your life. There's still blessing on your life and the Lord is using you and he's causing things to grow and prosper around you even when those people are in your life who are, who are hurting you. Well, the Bible would go on to tell us that Joseph was handsome. In, in form and appearance, he's a good-looking guy. When I think about Joseph, I, I like to think that Joseph probably dressed well. I, I like to think he probably groomed himself well and carried himself with a, a great amount of, of dignity. He was probably well-spoken. I like to think that 
Joseph looked a lot, you know, if you had a picture of Joseph, he, he probably looked a lot like Pastor Mark. He's a handsome dude, and you just think, man, this guy, I mean, he was just a good-looking guy, right? And so Potiphar's wife notices Joseph, and she's like, hey, baby, why don't we go to the movies? My husband is out touring the land, and, uh, you know, we should go out sometime. We can go down to the Starbucks, and you can buy me a cup of coffee. And Joseph, you guys know this story. Joseph says, look, here, I got a good thing going with your master, and I don't want to offend God or my boss. And so you need to you need to back away from me, woman. And she continues to pursue him and pursue him and pursue him until finally one day she gets him in the house all by themselves, and she comes up to him and she grabs him by the coat. And Joseph was like a ninja, right? So he just whoosh, just slipped out of that thing like the Matrix, right, and just whoosh, Pops the coat right off in her hands. Now she's stuck with a coat in her hands, right? And Joseph is out the door. Well, now she's in trouble. She's not supposed to be holding his coat in her hands while he's running out the door. So she gets all of the workers of the house together, right? She's the queen of her household. And she says, now look here. The story is that that Hebrew boy come in here and he tried to tried to have his way with me and he left his coat in my hand. And when my husband comes home, that's our story. And here, here Joseph has done good for this man. Joseph has worked hard for Potiphar. And, and God's blessed him. Potiphar's had nothing but blessings since Joseph's been in the house. But as soon as he comes home and his wife gives him this story and the coat as evidence, the Bible says in Genesis 39 and verse 10, it says, so it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner, that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. He was betrayed by his brother, and then he was imprisoned by his employer. He was imprisoned by his employer. I wonder if... Some of you here tonight, you, you, you've been on the job for a while now. You, you've been faithful, you've been diligent, you've been committed. And because you love Jesus and because you serve God and because you honor him in your home and in your workplace, the blessings of the Lord have, have come through your life into that workplace. You can see that that company is doing better than it did before because of the blessings of God that are coming through your hands. You've been good there. You've been faithful there. You've been kind there. You have you have uh, 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 shown mercy and grace and brought blessings into the house. But when the promotion came, it went to someone else. It didn't go to you. It skipped over you. The 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 the, the acknowledgement or the reward or the recognition or the or the pay raise. Thank God for pay raises, right? Or you know the the bonus. It didn't come your way. It came to this other person who's, who's, who, you know, from, from, from as far as you can see is manipulating and cheating the system. I don't know nobody in here has ever been in that position. Get a job in sales. You, you run into some of that. I've had employers before. The way they spoke to me was I wouldn't speak to my, I wouldn't speak to my worst enemy like that. Some of the control mechanisms or some of the manipulations that can go on in the workplace or really in any place where there's someone in a position of authority over you. It does not always happen 
in the workplace, maybe in your home, maybe where you volunteer, maybe uh, where you've served the community. As someone in a senior position over you, when you've brought blessing and they said, you know what, I'm going to lock you up in a jail. I'm going to confine you, imprisoned by his employer. If you read on verse 21, it says, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. The warden of the prison saw that God blessed Joseph in everything that he put his hand to. And he ended up placing Joseph in a position of authority over the other inmates. So one day, a butler and a baker who had worked for Pharaoh were both in prison. The butler would bring Pharaoh his wine and the baker would bake Pharaoh some bread. And they were under Joseph's care. And Joseph was faithful to his task. He was a good worker. He would go and care for them every day. And one day when he came to their room, they were both troubled, the butler and the baker. And Joseph began to speak to them and ask them, what's going on with you guys? And they said, well, we both had some dreams last night, and they're really kind of freaking us out a little bit. We do not understand them. Well, Joseph, being a man who had some experience with some dreams, you remember, he said, well, tell me your dreams. So the butler says, well, here's my dream. I saw a vine come up, and there were uh, three grapes on the vine, and I pressed the grapes into the cup, and I handed the cup back to Pharaoh. And Joseph said, oh, this is good. This is good. In three days, you're going to be restored to your position. And when you are, I, uh, I, I want you to remember me. I want you to remember me. We see this in verse 14 of chapter 40. It says, but remember me when it is well with you and please show kindness to me. Make mention to me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. You know, sometimes we read the Bible very sanctimoniously. We read the Bible as though Joseph spoke to the butler very kindly saying, well, brother, when if thou cometh unto thine place before the king, remembereth thine servant Joseph, beseech me with mercy and grace and assisteth me in the release of this prison. I don't think Joseph talked to him like that. I think Joseph grabbed that butler by the, by the collar and said, bro, it's fixing to be good for you. You better get me out of the joint, man. I'm not even supposed to be in here. Don't you forget me, man. You better remember me. Well, the baker's all excited. He shares his dream. and He's got a dream of three baskets of bread on his head and the raven's coming to eat the bread. And Joseph says, I'm sorry, bro, but in three days, they're going to hang you. And they did. The butler was restored in three days and the baker was hanged in three days. And he, watch this. Now, watch. This is very interesting. When, they, when the butler was restored to his position, look at the end of chapter 40. Genesis chapter 40, the last verse. You're just going along with the story, and then, and then, and then God's got to slip this little verse in here. He says, yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. He was betrayed by his brother, he was imprisoned by his employer, and he was forgotten by his friend gotten by his friend. I wonder if anybody in here knows what it feels like to have been forgotten. There, there, there was a day when, when we were so close, man. We'd go hang out. We'd go shoot pool. We'd go to the movies. We'd go have dinner. And then, you know, God moved me over here. And, and you said you were going to come with me. You said you were going to write me. You said you were going to remember me. You said you were going to call me. But you, 
there's no there's no letter in the mailbox and there's no there's no ring on the phone. There's I'm not even getting a text message or a Facebook like or share or nothing from you, man. I know so many missionaries, so many missionaries on the field that when they when they were sent out, the church gathered around them and man, we're gonna pray for you every day and we're gonna have a vigil for you and we're gonna send a team for you, and they're still waiting. Years and years and years later. Some of you know what that's like. Some of you aren't from Brunswick. You moved here because God moved you here and all the family and all the friends that said, oh, we're going to come and visit and we're going to, you know, we're going to send you a pecan pie and we're going to call you and we're going to write. Where are those friends? Some of you know the path of loneliness having been forgotten by a friend. Joseph was betrayed by his brother. He was imprisoned by his employer and he was forgotten by his friend. Anybody in here know what I'm talking about? You been there? That's my introduction. Let me get to the point here. I'll get there quickly. You know, the Bible, I don't know if any of you guys watch soap operas. Uh, I know you can't admit to it here at church, but... You know, sometimes they, they try to lay out these dramatic stories of, of mystery and intrigue and trickery. Man, the Bible is the best juicy story you're ever going to read, right? And here's why. So what happens to Joseph? The butler gets restored, right? And then two years later, the butler forgets him for two years. I'm not, it wasn't even a short, you know, forget. Two years later, Pharaoh has a dream. He has a dream of seven fat cows and seven skinny cows, right? You remember this? And, and seven... Uh, grains, uh, stalks of grain that are very healthy, followed by seven stalks of grain that devour all of the, all the healthy grain before it. And he doesn't know what to do. Well, the butler finally remembers Joseph. He tells Pharaoh, there's this guy in prison and he can interpret dreams. Well, let's get him up here. So they bring Pharaoh before, I mean, they bring Joseph before the Pharaoh. Pharaoh shares his dreams with Joseph. Joseph says, the interpretation doesn't come from me. It comes from God. But here's what it means. It means that Egypt is about to go into seven years of abundance, followed by seven years of famine. And you need to set somebody up in place who can administer the years of abundance so that you have grain left over to sell in the years of famine. Well, Pharaoh says, you're the man with the plan, so you do it. Puts him in charge of the whole country. He said, except for the throne, you have the authority of the entire nation. Go and execute this plan. We mentioned this morning. Five things that Pharaoh gave Joseph to be able to fulfill this task. So Joseph goes about fulfilling the tasks of storing a fifth of all of the grain during the years of abundance, these seven years of abundance. He has two children during this time, one named Manasseh. You'll see this in chapter 41, around verse 50. Uh, he has a son named Manasseh, and he has a son named Ephraim. And Manasseh means, for God has made me... Uh, forget all of my toil and my father's house. Have you ever heard this statement that time heals all wounds? You ever been wounded and you just thought, if I can just get more time, the more time I get away from that wound, the more time I can get away from when I was betrayed, when I was imprisoned, or when I was forgotten, then that heals all wounds. But the reality is that's not true. Time does not heal wounds. It just forms bigger scars over the wound. But the wound is usually still inside until you deal with that thing. Until you deal with that wound, 
All you've got is a bigger scar. You leave it there long enough, it becomes, it becomes like a tumor. But Joseph said, God has made me forget. And then Ephraim means, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Well, he was definitely fruitful. After the end of the seven years of abundance, what happens? The nation goes into seven years of famine. And the Bible would tell us that this famine was so great that it not only affected Egypt, it affected all of the surrounding territory. Now, trick question, who lives in the surrounding territory? This is where the story gets really juicy. The brothers, these knuckle-headed brothers that sold him into slavery, live just right down the road a little bit. And so Jacob says to his sons, what are you guys doing sitting around here for? We don't have any more honey bunches of oats. You need to go to Egypt. I have heard that they have some grain in Egypt. So here comes 10 of the 12 brothers that left Benjamin at home because Jacob said, I'm not letting this boy out of my sight for nothing, right? So they send the other brothers. They come before Joseph, and the Bible would tell us that Joseph now lived as an Egyptian. He spoke the Egyptian language. He wore the Egyptian dress. This is now fast forward about 20 years, 20 to 21 years from when they had sold him into slavery. So it's been a while. And the Bible says that the brothers, when they came in, they did not recognize him, but he recognized them. He recognized them in an instance. You see, we tell ourselves that time heals all wounds, but here's Joseph. He's sitting up here and he's administering all the people who are coming from all the lands and from Egypt as well to buy grain. And he sees those brothers walk in the door. And I, I believe in my heart that he immediately in his mind went back 20 years to the day that they threw him in that pit. You guys know the story. He goes on for what is probably a few months, several months of harassing his brothers back and forth. And I've read biblical commentary on this that joseph inspired by god was trying to teach his brothers a lesson and i think that's so unrealistic that doesn't sound like any human being that i know you you see times in the story over and over the next several chapters where where joseph has to pull himself aside and weep i believe that when joseph was was sitting up here on that day and these brothers started started filing into the courtroom, and he recognized them immediately. I think his mouth went dry. I think his his hands got sweaty and began to tremble, and I think he did not know what to do. I mean, you, you, you know what you and I would do because we're so holy. We would take a spear and start, you know, running them through, right? I mean, nobody here would do that. But I think that there was a period in which Joseph simply didn't know what to do. He didn't know how to respond because he thought time heals all wounds. But all of a sudden, I'm face to face with my offender. I'm face to face with the the ones who should have been with me. And now they're not. And I have the power. Joseph had the power. He He could have killed them right there in the moment with no repercussions whatsoever. None. He was in the position of authority. I mean, you can't, you can't script a better movie than this. This is fantastic stuff here. So Joseph goes back and forth, back and forth with them. You've got to bring Benjamin here. You've got to bring the younger brother here. And the, and the brothers, an interesting side note. 
have a whole other message that I deliver from this perspective, but I, I just wanted to add this in for tonight, is that the brothers themselves, now about 22 years later, as they're being afflicted by this Egyptian ruler that they don't understand, why is this guy harassing us? Why is this guy messing with us? We literally have come in good faith just to buy some grain. And now all of a sudden this guy's harassing us. He puts one of them in jail. He wants him to bring the youngest brother back. And they're just going back and forth to turmoil. And what do they say? What do they say? They said, they said, we're being punished now because of how we treated our brother 20 years ago. Because you see, with offense, it's not only the one who is offended. It's not only the, the, the one who is offended that's locked into that moment until you can forgive, but it's also the offender. Those brothers were locked into that moment. That now everything in life that goes wrong is because of what I did back then. You, you go to work on Monday morning and, and, and the company's downsizing and you get a pink slip and, and all of a sudden it's because you stole a pack of gum when you're 12 years old. The, the, the brothers themselves are living confined into their own guilt. And the only person who can release them of their guilt is Joseph, who's also confined in the prison of his own hurt. They're both locked up in this moment, this pit from 20 years ago. But his heart, Joseph's heart, he wanted to be restored to his brothers. In fact, it says in in chapter 43, verse 30, it says, Now his heart yearned for his brothers. So Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to weep. He would weep over this. He would weep over the offense. I thought I forgot this. I thought God has made me abundant in the land of my enemies. I thought that I've moved on. But no, it keeps coming back to me again and again and again. Finally, Joseph could have no more of it. All the brothers are there. Benjamin's there. Everybody's there. And it comes to a moment where where Joseph realizes that his desire for the relationship and the reconciliation and the freedom of forgiveness outweighs the pain that he had experienced. I think through those years that God had done some work in Joseph's heart, but there had to come a moment in which he said, now, now's the time. It says at the very beginning of chapter 45, then Joseph could restru- could, uh, could not restrain himself before all those who stood before him. He could, he could have no more of this unforgiveness in his life. He sends all of his attendants out of the room. It's just him and the brothers. And he, he calls out to them and, and he says, I'm Joseph. Does my father still live? Is my father still alive? The brothers, they didn't know how to respond. They, they realized, oh my gosh, this, this is the one. This is the one that we hurt so badly. This is the one we sold into slavery. This is the one we threw in a pit. This is the one we tried to kill. This is the one we betrayed. But something had happened in Joseph's heart. 
he had had a heart change in that process that he was now able to forgive. And he says, please, come near to me. I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery. But now, watch, watch, listen to the grace here. He says, but now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Wow. What a, what a position of grace that Joseph came to to say, you hurt me. But don't, don't be mad at yourself. God had a, had a bigger plan. He goes on to say, And God sent me before you to preserve a prosperity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. This is 22 years after they sold him into slavery. Joseph's heart had been changed and he was now in a position to offer forgiveness and save these, these brothers' lives, the forefathers of the entire nation of Israel for the plan of God. Now, does that mean that the pain that they inflicted on him was just part of some great divine plan? I think God had a plan to get Joseph to, to Egypt but it made the pain of the betrayal no less real. It, it, it made the, the, the pain of the imprisonment by his employer no less heartbreaking. It, it, it made being forgotten by his friend no less a, a, a season of loneliness in his life. We think sometimes that we can take Betrayals and imprisonments and, 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 and forgottenness. And we can take these wounds that come into our life and somehow cover them over. And, and just chalk them up to, well, that's the way it was supposed to be. Without acknowledging what actually happened. Forgiveness does not always involve a, a renewal of a relationship the way it was before. Or a renewal of a relationship at all. There are times that people bring abuse into your life and you don't have to live in that situation. But the imprisonment of unforgiveness does not have to confine you any longer. You can be freed from unforgiveness without subjecting yourself to the pain inflicted in your life by other people. That afternoon when I drove to uh, our warehouse, the warehouse manager had already left. I didn't get to, to see him. That, that may be for the best. I was pretty upset. There was no closure in that for me at that moment. About a year later, I was, I was uh, driving my car and uh, I remember this very clearly. I was driving my car, and it was one of those supernatural moments in which I was praying that God would multiply the gas fumes in my tank like loaves and fishes. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm way past the E. I'm down here in, in bells ringing and lights flashing range, you know, on the gas meter. And I'm praying, 
Oh, Lord, you've got to help me have some gas. And I come to this gas station, and as I pull in, I look, and at the pump, there stands, there's the man who stole from me. I wasn't, I wasn't ready. I was, my heart had not changed yet like Joseph's heart. I didn't even, I didn't even stop. I pulled right out back onto the street and continued to pray for the multiplication of gas fumes to the next gas station. And I, I, Mark, I wasn't, I wasn't ready. I, I, I couldn't do it. I started, I mean, I started shaking physically like this. Fast forward about another year, the, the movie, the, you guys remember the Mel Gibson movie, The Passion of the Christ? You remember this movie? Right? So it was right about the time that that movie was released. And the church we attended, we met in a, in a high school auditorium. And right across the street was a mall and a movie theater. And so on this particular Sunday, the pastor, uh, Pastor Tony Bird, my good friend, he was preaching a message. And after church, the church was going to go to the movie theater and we were going to watch together. We were going to go see the Passion of the Christ. And he spoke that day on forgiveness. And uh, he, he gets to the end of the service and he says, now, if there's anyone in your life that you need to forgive, I, I want you to just take a moment right now. And I want you to, right in your seat, close your eyes. I want you to see that person in your your mind. And I want you to say their name. I forgive and and say their name. I said, okay, all right, I'll I'll do this. Lord, I forgive. And, And I said his name. And that was it. I didn't... Started crying. I didn't get any Holy Ghost goosebumps. You guys know what that feels like. It's a spirit-filled church. There was no parting of the clouds or angels singing in that moment. I was like, great. We closed the service, and we go across the street to the mall, and we had a few minutes before uh, the movie was going to start. And so I'm standing in some department store, and I'm looking at some shoes, and, and I'm standing here, and I turn around, He's standing right there, this man. I mean, he's not 12 feet from me. He's got his back to me. He didn't see me. I I saw him and immediately I knew exactly who it was. And and what I was expecting is that all of the, the hurt and the pain and the anger... That I had felt the year before in the gas station. What I was expecting is that all of that would come flooding back. And I'd have to run out of the store. But it wasn't there. All all the pain wasn't there. All the bitterness wasn't there. The unforgiveness was just gone. I, I walked up to him and. Touched his shoulder. He turned around. I said, how, how are you doing? How are you doing? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Got a job over here at this such and such a place. I said, well, that's good. I'll be praying for you. And that was it. He, he went on his way and we went on and watched the movie. I haven't seen that man since. I ran into him 
twice in two years. I haven't seen him since. But what I know is that my heart was set free. My heart was free. Turn over to to James chapter 5. I told you we'd get to James before we're done. This is such an interesting verse to me. James chapter 5 verse 13. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Is anyone here suffering? Or your translation might say sick. Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil. In the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another. Confess your trespasses. Confess your sins. Confess where you've offended somebody. To one another and pray for one another that you might have peace? No. That you might know the power of forgiveness? No. That you might be healed, it says. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. You'll have to ask God when you get to heaven why he tied these two things together. But there is an intricate connection between forgiveness, both forgiving and being forgiven, and healing. Healing in your own body. Medical science has proved this out to us over and over and over again. There are numerous uh, conditions in our body that, that doctors uh, have related back to uh, challenges in our soul. Anxiety, worry, depression, things like that cause all sorts of physical manifestations in the body. Many, many uh, soul anxieties of our mind, our will, and our emotions are caused from the pain that's inflicted upon us or that we have inflicted upon others in this life. And so there is a power in forgiveness, whether that's asking for forgiveness or whether that's forgiving someone, that has an intricate connection to healing in your own body. And the Bible proves that out over and over and over again. When I was praying about this message tonight, I felt like the Lord said, I just want to heal people. I just want to heal some people tonight. That God wants to heal you tonight. And that healing may be somewhere in your body and it may be somewhere in your soul. I believe that there are people here tonight that as I'm describing the story of Joseph's brothers betraying him or or the, the, the person who stole from me, You've got somebody in your mind just like that. There's a brother who's betrayed you. There's an employer who's imprisoned you. There may be a friend who's forgotten you. For some of you, maybe you're the offender. Maybe you betrayed somebody. Maybe you imprisoned somebody with your behavior. Maybe you forgot somebody. Maybe you need to forgive somebody tonight. Maybe you need to ask the Lord to forgive you tonight. 
okay. I've lived long enough to be both the hero and the villain of my own story. But there's a grace and there's an anointing tonight for you to be released from unforgiveness, whichever side of it that you're on, as the offended one or the offender. So why don't we take a few minutes tonight and let's pray together. I'm going to invite Pastor Mark to come on up. He's the elder of this house. Let's just, can we stand together? Let's do it this way. Let's stand together. Let me give you a moment, first of all, just to let the Holy Spirit work in your heart. So why don't we close our eyes just so that we can kind of make this moment private between you and God. You may be here tonight. And there may be a moment you can trace back to very clearly in your mind in which someone hurt you. Someone betrayed you. Someone promised something they didn't come through. Someone made a commitment they didn't keep it. And it was a, it, it, it may seem like a small thing to them, but it's a big deal to you. Someone may have stolen from you. Someone may have taken something physical or, or taken something from your soul. Someone may have, have violated the boundaries of your life and inflicted a wound. And, and it may have been years and years ago. And you think, well, it, time, time has healed the wound. No. Let me encourage you. The Holy Spirit heals wounds. Time will cover it up, but the Holy Spirit brings healing. And He's so gentle. He's not here to embarrass anyone. He's not here to expose anyone. He's just here to say, I want to heal you. I love you so much. I love you so much. If that's you here tonight and there's someone that you need to forgive, I'm going to lead you just like my pastor led me. I want you to just, I want you to picture them in your mind if you can. I know, I know it hurts. I know. Don't leave here tonight carrying the same burden of, of unforgiveness. The Lord never intended you to bear that burden. That person who's offended you, I want you to just picture them tonight. Now I want you to pray. To God, the Bible says, bless those who curse you and pray for those who despitefully use you. That's not an easy thing to do. Let's pray, Lord, I pray that you would guard our hearts. Father, we come to you with these wounds. We come before you with the hurts in our lives. Lord, I submit to you this person who has hurt me. But tonight, 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 I forgive. 
Can you just say that? I forgive. And, and if you can say their name, if you can bring yourself to do that, do that. I forgive. Whomever. I forgive them, Lord. I will no longer hold this offense. I've heard it said that forgiveness is giving up the right to get someone back. You're not invalidating what they've done to you. You're just not letting it consume you and imprison you any longer. I forgive. Maybe tonight you're here and you would say, I'm the offender. I'm the offender. I can can remember back to this moment, it may be 22 years ago, when I hurt this person. I I did it maliciously, or, or I didn't mean to. It was an accident, but either way, I caused this pain in their life. For us, our our, our prayer is, I repent, I confess. Can you pray that prayer tonight if that's you, if that's you? If you're the offender, I confess to God, I confess this thing, God. I confess that I, I did this, I did it. Jesus, after he had been raised from the dead, his disciples were in a room and, and, and Jesus walked through the wall of the room and he said, peace be with you. And then he made, he made this statement. He said, anyone that you forgive is forgiven. And any sins that you retain, you retain them. Some of you just prayed a, a prayer of confession. And I want to tell you, as an ambassador of the king of the universe, in the authority of the name of Jesus, I forgive you. I forgive you. And your father forgives you. Your father also forgives you. You may be here tonight and say, I need a little bit more forgiveness than that. Because I don't even know Jesus. I don't have a relationship with him. I have no connection to him. The Bible would tell us that Jesus is the son of God, the living God incarnated, that he left his home in heaven and came to earth, that he lived a sinless life, not like you and I. He lived a life without any sin. He fulfilled every stipulation of the covenants made between God and man, both as God and as man. It's fascinating. And then at the end of 33 years of a sinless, fully committed, covenant-filled life, we hung him on a cross. Humans, us, we did it. With our sins, with our infirmities, with our, uh, um, with our violations of the laws of God, iniquities, we hung him on the cross. But we did not take his life. He gave it willingly as a payment 
for your sins and my sins. He was in the grave for three days, and then by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, he rose from the dead so that he could give us the Holy Spirit and power so that we could live also as he lived. So that we could enjoy the benefits of the covenant, which includes salvation. Which includes reconciliation to God. Includes the the very opportunity that we are partaking in tonight to even come before our Father in prayer and receive healing. If you're here tonight and you have never believed in Jesus or you've, you've walked away and you need to come back to Jesus or you need to come to him for the first time. If there's something in you that says, I, I just need to be saved. I've got a list of sins and, and I don't know what to do with them. Jesus said, I know what to do with them. I hung them on the cross. And you can access that salvation by simply believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and risen from the dead, then you'll be saved. So if there's anybody here tonight and you need to come to Jesus, then in this moment I want to give you that opportunity. If that's you, every head bowed, every eye closed. Again, it's a private moment with you and God. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to slip your hand up. You're not raising your hand to me. You're raising your hand to God. You're simply saying, I need to be saved. Amen. Is there anybody else? I just need Jesus. I need Jesus. I can't pay for these sins. I need him to do it. I need him to do it. And I believe in him. I believe in Jesus. Let's all pray this together. I'm going to lead us all in a prayer. There's nothing magical in these words, but it's just a confession. Will you say this with me? Will you say, Jesus, thank you that you died for me. I have sinned against you. I've broken your laws. But I believe that by your death, you have paid for my sins. And I believe that by your power, you have risen from the dead. I receive you, Jesus. I give you my life in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I want to speak a blessing over you and then I know pastor wants to give time if there's anyone who wants prayer, if you just want someone to agree with you in healing or in forgiveness and then uh, I'll be here and I know pastor will be here to, to pray with you but can I just speak a blessing over you before I close? If you would just hold your hands out to God as though your daddy's going to give you something. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I bless you with forgiveness. I bless you with the freedom of forgiveness. That you would be free to forgive those in your life who have offended you. That you would be free to receive forgiveness for those you have offended. And that you would know the sweet, sweet liberty of forgiveness. I bless you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.